We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the Men from Odo, and you are listening to episode 31, Old Man Yells at Cloud. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Old Man Sowers on the line with me this week again, fresh off his appearance at GP Toronto. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I thought I was the cloud and you were the old man. No, I'm pretty sure the cloud is something that lives on the internet. Yeah, and that would indeed make me the old man. I'm doing fantastic, Dave. How are you? Very good. Very good. So you're going to have to share with us. How was your trip to Toronto? I had a really good time in Toronto. Um, Kelsey and I went and kind of hung out in the city on Friday. Uh, We went to see High Park, which has a zoo in it and just like lovely park areas to walk around in. We had lunch at a nice Mexican restaurant. We just kind of explored Toronto that day and and had an awesome time. Um, Saturday went in for the event. I went for three drop. So not exactly my best performance. I actually found that I was having a little bit of difficulty playing paper as opposed to online. Like it's been so long since I've played paper and there's some subtle differences that you don't catch until you're sitting there actually playing them. Like I, I, I made a series of punts in one game that didn't end up costing me the game, but I could just watch my mistakes multiplying. It was a little frustrating um, but it eventually salvaged it and had a had a good time. Went out to dinner with uh, some some friends and then came back on day two to do a chaos draft with uh, Scalding Hot Soup, another streamer, my friend Martin, and a couple people who watched the stream. And that honestly was was kind of the magic highlight of it. Was it was a lot of fun to sit down and do a chaos draft. We had six people with just some random packs I had in my backpack, <laughs> split into teams, and and then played some games and had a good time. So I, I would say overall a roaring success. Uh, as far as fun levels, but it did kind of reiterate for me that I think my magic success probably needs to be online, like driving, you know, eight plus hours for an event um, may not be viable for me unless I'm chasing them pro points to to stay on the pro club or whatever. Like I'd rather just win a magic online PTQ and have a bunch of people watch, but it was fun to see everybody. Fun stuff. Are we still on then for GP Vegas next year or are you out? Oh yeah, we're going to Vegas, dude. All right, sweet. Book it. 20, yeah. 2018. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so this week's episode, I mean, you've got a bunch of soapbox topics you're going to talk about and complain about, and I'm going to try to counterpoint every single one of them and, and tell you how much you're wrong. Not really. Um, but I am going to uh, chime in here and there and try to defend. But before then, we had uh, the Pro Tour this past weekend. We're going to talk about we're gonna talk about maybe some standard in general or, or the metagame that came out of the Pro Tour. You played in a standard PTQ online. I did. Um, and then also done, you've done a lot of sealed as you always do on, on your stream. We're going to talk about that some, and then you're going to get on your soapbox. So let's take it away. I trust that you watched the pro tour. I watched some highlights. Yes. Okay. Um, I caught most of the draft, which was, you know, interesting as it always is, but I didn't really, I didn't really come up with any insight after watching it. Um, I think it's really tough to gain any insight when you're watching two drafts plus 
maybe eight matches that you get full um full coverage of um there were some really cool decks sam black had a really interesting one like it looked like a four color train wreck um and he kind of played it to perfection it was really interesting to watch that he's a fantastic player but aside from that i didn't see anything interesting in the limited portion where it was interesting though was the standard portion where mono red Ruminat Bruins kind of just run the table, uh, wrecked face, and uh, it was actually really quite interesting to see um, the, I, I've never really seen, like, watched the Pro Tour and seen the emergence of a red deck as taking over the format in the short term, and that's kind of what it feels like, though, to me, is that that this red deck is going to kind of run over the format for a few weeks and then probably settle down into a smaller percentage of the meta, but that's me kind of going off of the history that I've read about um, and and looking at the deck and seeing, well, there's a lot of ways to, to kind of play around it. So um, what did you see some from the from the standard portion? I, I saw kind of the same thing that you did is, is like watching this Ruminap Red kind of appear and start crushing people. What what got me interested was in, in standard was there was a standard PTQ uh, the same weekend as the Pro Tour. And I was like, why would I not play in that? I don't have to qualify for it anymore. I just have to play. So I started looking for deck lists and I actually found uh, David Murphy's deck list that he took to the Pro Tour. Now, De- Murphy made it to the Pro Tour. Super proud of the guy. He didn't have like he, it, it doesn't look like things came together for him while he was there. And I, I felt bad for him. But from what I can tell, he had a good trip and he's going to be talking about that some on a stream. But as I saw his deck, even though it didn't have a good result, I really liked what he was trying to do, which was build a version of the red aggro decks that was just one step slower than those very aggressive decks and was instead incorporating some of the more powerful Eldrazi cards and being able to cast them off of the deserts. And I I really liked that initial build. So I started playing around with that and decided to take that to the PTQ. Um, And it it definitely had game against the mono red decks. And then it sort of played like a slightly slower version of the mono red decks against everybody else. They were still kind of scared of me in, in that scenario. I didn't have a particularly good result with it either. I beat one mono red deck, lost to one, and then never drew my fifth land against a control deck. And that was just kind of the end of that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I really liked the brew he came together with. And there've been calls for, you know, ban Romanat ruins all over Reddit and everybody screaming about it. That PTQ that I was playing in mono red did not finish in the top eight of like I'm looking at the deck list now. And there's some very interesting ways to make sure that you don't lose to mono red. I mean, there's, if you really want to go deep, there's mono white life gain with horses. There's black white life gain with the zombies. There's, I mean, there's green cards that gain life when you tap deserts. There's all sorts of, of kind of <laughs> incidental life gain. But, you know, like I was just, I am not a brewer. I don't play standard, like full stop. Yeah. But even I was thinking about ways of, well, how would I tackle it? And it started with like four sacred cats and 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 kind of built out from there because they block the two ones you throw them away and you get them back and they have lifelink this incidental lifelink um which kind of puts you out of range potentially of of the deserts themselves and so like you know and i don't think that's too far-fetched from what people will be doing to 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 stop those there's sweepers there's multiple black sweepers in the format there's white sweepers there's i mean the red sweepers are a little expensive um but there's there's kind of a lot of ways to release that pressure valve on the buildup that is that red critical mass. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it kind of settles into kind of an even percentage or even a less than a fair share of the meta in the next few weeks. And that's just me kind of guessing because how long does a mono red deck stay in a format in standard? Usually not very long, right? 
it, it's always there. And then that's the question afterwards is, has the metagame shifted enough that people aren't sideboarding for it or playing for it? Like sixth place in this was a deck main decking Jotty offshoot. If you don't remember that one, I don't blame you. It's a one mana zero three from Battle for Zendikar with Defender, Landfall, you gain one life. Like, that's not there by accident. That was a really neat ramp deck uh, that looks like uh, Todd Anderson was playing, actually. I recognize his screen name. So, like, th there's there's some cool tech here. And I thought it was neat that right as this deck dominates the Pro Tour, we have an online PTQ and it doesn't dominate. And it's not that people weren't aware of it, because, again, I played it twice in the first two rounds. Mm -hmm. It's... We had such a stale meta for so long, like it it deterred me from getting into the format, you know, and then when it when we had the ban the bannings recently that I was now interested in the format and you look at it and there's like 10, 12 viable, quote unquote, viable decks that I could take to my my game day tomorrow, potentially and play. Um, I think that's really exciting. It's a little daunting for me because I don't want to go and invest in one paper deck and, and kind of be stuck with it if it sucks. But there are a lot of cool things that you could play and go to Friday Night Magic and have a lot of fun with. Mm -hmm. um, and then all the way up to even, you know, probably the next GP or the next uh, Star City Games Open. Um, I bet I'm going to bet you're going to see an interesting and diverse meta. So I'm uh, I'm very interested to see where it goes. And I'm actually excited to see to see how standard plays out. So um, one thing about your deck, um, I want to know your take on this, because what did you have for haste creatures in that deck? Did you have on crop crashers and did you have you didn't play reality smashers, did you? Right. I did not. I uh, was playing matter reshapers. The only hasters were the two one Kenras. It was actually mm -hmm. very close to Dave's list. Um, it, and it wasn't a lot of haste creatures. Uh, the, the other big haste creatures that were in the deck were the four glory bringers. And that was kind of the whole point of the deck was to try to to like be aggressive against the decks where being aggressive is good. And then if you're facing mono red, just try to survive and eventually kill them with glory bringers and wipe, wipe some of their board with it. Mm -hmm. I, I will mention too, while we're on the topic of, of standard, you're right. You can take all of these decks to F and M. You can take them to game day. You can also play them online. Like just in testing that deck, I did three leagues. I finished with a positive record in all three of them and was up play points and treasure chests and product. So like mm -hmm. oftentimes if you're playing limited online, it's, it's kind of like, how can I make this loss go slower? Whereas if you find a standard deck that's actually competitive, you can be up tickets and product when you finish your, your gameplay, which is a, a great place to balance some of that. You do have the upfront cost of buying the deck or renting the deck, however you go about getting it. But if you can put together a constructed deck, even if it's not standard, I'm excited about standard now, but you can build a competitive pauper deck for like 30 bucks like build it and play some constructed. And it's a, a great way to help, uh, I guess, collection management, <laughs> make the slow bleed even slower by playing some standard or, or some pauper now and then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I'm just scrolling through some of these decks. I'm looking at, um, for listeners out there that want to check it out as well. I'm looking at the MTG goldfish kind of pro tour meta. And a lot of the top decks range from well, about 200 to 250 tickets um, which is really interesting. I would expect them to be a little bit cheaper online, um, but that's probably because, you know, we're still in the first few weeks of the format, so cards are going to be a little more expensive online. And I mean, like, Hazaret shot up a ridiculous amount of money, so did Chandra. Yeah. Um, but, like, there are some fringe decks that are in the 100 to 150 ticket range, so you should be able to find something if you're interested in playing in a, in a standard league online that you can hit a 60% win rate with and, and you know, 
quote break even or make a profit or whatever however you want to look at it you know it should be pretty easy to three two with a lot of these things if you have skill behind them um you know for 100 tickets or 150 tickets so um you know not everybody's made of money but i mean you know that's that's not too bad for a lot of people so get out there and and try standard and um don't be afraid to to tweak and brew uh to your heart's content online it's super easy to turn those around and then when you find something you like send it over to me so i can run out and and buy it (laughs) and i don't have to put all that effort in and, and figure it out myself so one day one day um so speaking of the, the pro tour i feel like we would be i know we're the men for moto but i feel like we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't talk about kind of the punt heard around the world which is kind of incredible um to see the, re- the community's reaction to it both positively and negatively um but um i forget the gentleman's name i'm gonna go look him up what's his name um i remember he's walking by on twitter He's walking by on Twitter. All right, I'm going to look him up right now. I bet I can find him faster. Yam Wing Chun. There you go. So, semifinals against Paulo. And uh, tied it to two games apiece. Game five, uh, Yam Wing Chun draws lethal, basically has him dead on board. He needs 11 points of burn. He's got Hazard and six points of burn in hand. So that's 11 total. Both of his cards are sorceries. So he tops deck in incendiary flow. He can now go to the face with everything. I think it was collective defiance was the other card. All he has to do is cast one of those cards swing and then cast the other and it's game over. It's GG. He draws the card and you can hear the entire gallery cheering. You know, they have, they have the headsets on They're watching. Um, you know, they have a crowd surrounding. They're watching it draws the card you can see him so excited and then he f2s through his turn irl yeah literally hits f2 skips to his combat step and goes to swing and unfortunately the magic rules state that once you have passed priority to your opponent in that step um there's really no taking it back and so he tapped hazard with the intent to attack Apollo said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Judge stepped in, said, whoa, whoa, you can't do that. And uh, and that was the end of that. Now, he didn't lose on the spot. Um, however, he did go from 100% win to, you know, maybe like a 5 or 10% win. Who knows? We don't we don't really know what was coming up next for, for both of those players at the time. And he ends up going on to lose in the semifinals, you know, misses out on the $50,000 and the trophy and things like that. And... Uh, Man, watching that live, you really had to feel for him. It was, it was the punt, literally the punt heard around the world. It was, I don't even know how to describe the the reaction in Twitch chat and the reaction on Twitter. Um, there's been a lot of positive, but there's also been a lot of negative. I'm kind of upset about the negative um, kind of spin on this. But what's your take on this? So, so not just the punt because you know we all make mistakes like this. Obviously, not for for potentially fifty thousand dollars, but but how do you see this play? And, and actually, what stands out for you um, in terms of his reaction to it? Three things I want to go over real quick. One, I have made mistakes similar to that many times on my stream. The difference is instead of 20,000 people watching, it's 200, right? And instead of $50,000 on the line, we're talking about two or three tickets worth of value, right? So I, I've made almost that exact mistake many, many times just today. I cast an unquenching thirst on my opponent's creature, went straight to combat, turned all my dudes sideways, and then noticed I didn't have a desert in play. And they ate my dude. And I felt really stupid. And I moved along with my life. That's what Yam has done. 
like he's taken it really well. His his Twitter name was walking by and his bio says professional buy delivery at MTG tournaments recently expanded services to pro tours. Like, I feel like this is a cool dude and he's handled it particularly well. The reaction that I've seen, I've seen some positive ones, but a lot of it's been negative, And that really frustrates me because nobody is jumping down the throat of the person who made a similar mistake five rounds earlier and didn't get to the semifinals, the quarterfinals or whatever. Right. Like this guy made it to a very high level in a very high level competition and made a mistake. It's going to happen better for him that the mistake was there than far earlier. And I, I can't, I can't, can you imagine the nerves you're at the pro tour, you're playing against a hall of famer. People argue that Paulo may be the best magic player that's currently playing. You're playing against this guy. Like I imagine my nerves would be a little shaken too. And I've certainly gotten to that point where I draw exactly what I need. And I'm so excited that I screw up the turn order. I don't know what was in his head, but I just know that like of all the people criticizing him, the only one that I think have a valid criticism are ones that have made it further than him in the pro tour. So like if Alexander Hain wants to say something about this, I'll listen to him. He's won a pro tour, but anybody that hasn't top eight at a, a pro tour before can kind of shut the heck up. Like, you don't need to jump on people when they do stuff like that. It's not helpful. The guy's attitude about it has been really refreshing. And like, it does make me feel better to see somebody at that high level of play make a mistake like that. Cause I'm like, you know what? I, I make that mistake on occasion. It It's good to for, for my self-esteem to see that happen. Cause I still don't think playing with zero mistakes is like realistic. I think trying to make as few mistakes as possible is, is where you should be aiming and then being able to recover from them after you've made them. So those are kind of my thoughts about it. And like, as soon as that happened, I followed Yam on Twitter. I wanted to see what he had to say about it. And I'm interested in following his career now because I I suspect that that's something that he could rebound from and become a force in magic. I mean, the guy just top eight at a pro tour. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, and we've talked about this in the past of, of punt recovery. So he made the mistake. He he sucked it up. He had his 30 seconds of frustration at himself. You could see it. And then he got a smile on his face. He's like, well, I can't change it. How do I how do I fix the problem, basically? And he went immediately from, OK, so I can't attack. Hazard's untapped. How do I survive my opponent swinging back at me? How do I how do I survive long enough to try to turn this into a win some other way? Because the game just wasn't immediately over, right? He could still cast spells out of his hand. I think Paulo had like three creatures on board and he took five minutes going through all of the different lines and combinations of things that he could do with the two cards in hand, which creature could he kill with incendiary flow? What can he do with collective defiance? How is he going to block if his opponent attacks? And he actually put Paulo in a spot where he wasn't obviously guaranteed to win that next turn. I think it went one or two more turns after that, even um, in, and in which, you know, maybe it was a coin flip. I, I don't even know. Like, I, I'm not really sure what was in their decks. It was late at night. It was like 2 AM here or something like that. Maybe not that late, but it was, it was really refreshing to see that, I, th- I think there are players out there. There are a lot of non-pros, but even some pros that would probably just give up, you know, and not even just give up by scooping, but give up mentally and, and not try to recover from that. And-, and I think that was probably the most impressive part of it. And then obviously the the Rich Hagen speech after it, in which you know Magic is the greatest game. We just witnessed something incredible. You know, kind of lay out, not really lay off on the guy, but like understand that that this is an extraordinary game and it's extraordinary because of the people that play it and the mistakes that are made not because everybody's a robot when they play so i think it was really cool and it was really cool to see the the human side of the game right 
I, I think this segues into something else that I wanted to touch on, at least briefly, is another thing I saw on in, in some negative terms was, did Paulo deserve that win? Did Paulo deserve to to continue through and, and win the Pro Tour? It's like, it kind of doesn't matter. He did. Magic doesn't care who deserves what. Magic doesn't care how hard you've prepped for a tournament. Like, Magic only cares about who played the right cards in the right order and drew the right hands and won the game. And I, I think that I've, I've watched people who feel like they deserve a win and then are really confused when they don't get it and tilt off and can't finish a tournament. And I've seen that happen to so many people. So I, I would still encourage people like the one thing you can learn from this is like, who cares if Paulo deserved it or not? He won. Congratulations. Like, even if that game didn't quite play out the way it should have with the cards drawn, like what about the other million rounds he played to get there? Like take the emotion out of it. When you're playing, you don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve to win any particular tournament. Um, I, I had, it's funny when I was streaming on Tuesday, I played, I finished off a draft. I had one round of a draft that I'd done before I left for uh, Toronto. We did another draft and then I did a sealed leg. So that's nine rounds and I won every single round. And as soon as I did, I almost wanted to face palm because I'm like, I'm not a hundred percent win percentage. This is going to come back at some point. I strung them together, but why now? Why now? And then I played the GP. Yeah. Why not at the GP? And then I went to two uh, PTQs and finished one, two in both of them. You know, and I I don't know that there were mistakes made there. I'm sure if I go back and review the play, I could find some, but it was certainly nothing egregious. But like you're going to string together series of wins and you're going to string together series of losses. That's just kind of how the game works. So try to take as much emotion out of that as you can. Like when when you're riding that high, ride it and hope you line it up so that you can win your event. And if you get mana screwed or your opponent draws better or you make a mistake with 20,000 people watching you kind of just got to let that go and take the emotion out of it and play the best you can to get the record that, that you can get. Yeah, man, I feel for the guy though. And hundred percent, there's nobody in the world that scoops to that. If you're, if you're in Paulo's seat, right? If you're, if you're playing for the potential of $50,000 and your opponent screws up and the judge says, you know, they've skipped through their step, they can't attack you. How, what percentage of magic playing population would take that and say, you know, you know what? You had the win in your hand. Congratulations. I'm going to scoop that up and I'm going to give you the shot at $50,000. Am I remembering incorrectly or did John Finkel do that with Alexander Hain at Pro Tour Avison Restored? I don't think I was watching at that time. John Finkel might be the only one. Yeah. I Maybe, think, I mean, there's I a percentage. what it was. I think it was some error in sideboarding or something. And I think I remember John saying, we're not going to let a pro tour be decided by sideboarding errors. Like he, they forgot to de-sideboard I, or. I don't remember it. I'm going I'm to have to look it up. I'm going to have to look mm-hmm. it up. But I, I sort of remember something like that. Maybe the audience can fill us in and leave a comment if you remember that or tweet at me. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think from Paulo's perspective, I certainly wouldn't. Like I no wouldn't. questions asked. Like if if I'm playing on Magic Online and somebody makes an obvious mistake, I don't scoop. Like they f six nope. through their turn, that sucks. I've I've I, done it. <laughs> no one's ever I scooped did, to me. I did have one person the other day, a uh, viewer of your stream. I can't remember their name now. Something Joe begins with a B. 
Bellagio Joe or something like that. Something like that. No, yeah. it's, there's an H in there. We were playing in a draft and uh, I, what did I do? I missed an activation of my wall or something like that. I missed some activation that was on board and I missed it twice. Once was for lethal. They didn't have any chance, I don't think, to win and come back. Um, but they just scooped it up that turn and I'm like, oh my God, I clicked through my turn again because I'm chatting with them and I'm chatting with my chat. And I said that right as I clicked through my turn, I'm like, click, click, uh, crap. I forgot to tap my wall. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's an exception. I would do it at like a Friday night magic, but if there's like $50,000 on the line, sorry, sir, I'm calling the judge. I'm the first one to put my hand up and call the judge, but never will I angle shoot in a game like that, which is, I think, completely different. We'll talk about that another day because... I have some thoughts about angle shooting, which is completely different, but maybe never, that, ever, ever would I do that. Maybe that can be a, a topic we discuss for the next next podcast. I would like to get into that some too. Angle shooting or just being a nice guy in general? Both. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that. Being a nice guy? No, probably not. Nope. Not at all. All right. Other than that, I thought the Pro Tour was really cool, um, with the exception of it being overnight in our time zone. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, not a huge deal. I can watch the VODs, but I kind of like the perfect time for me is like from like 4 p.m. to like 11 or 12. So if they can just run it in, I believe time they zone, call that, that prime time. Yeah, if they could just run it in prime time for your time zone specifically. Yeah. So mountain time. Yeah. Well, actually, normally the Pro Tour runs through the day. Mm hmm. Right. Which is tough for me at work, but whatever. Anyway, I digress. I digress. It was very cool to watch. I always enjoy those. I will watch them again and I'll go back and watch some of the draft replays now that I have some uh, some more time to actually sit down and and think about the draft picks that are that are being taken and things like that. So. All right. All right. Next up, I do want to briefly discuss Hour of Devastation Sealed because I think I've gotten on something here and then I have a few clouds to yell at. Sounds good. I think there are basically three different decks, three and a half different decks that you will find in Hour of Devastation Sealed. And you need to look and see which one of these you have and recognize that they're on different tiers and play in different ways. The first one is the pool with very little fixing or no fixing that is running a two color deck, playing the best cards you have and maybe a light splash. Okay. A close relative to that that you don't open open as often is a very aggressive deck that's playing two colors. I have not found the pieces for aggro to be particularly good in this format. It still happens on occasion, and you can have very aggressive decks. I've bumped into ones. I, I played an opponent uh, in a league recently that was using the insider guy that gives things haste in conjunction with Magmaroths to start attacking you for five the turn that he played them. It's like... That's actually really brutal. So so be on the lookout for that aggressive deck if it's there. I have not found it to be there very often. The the third, I guess, second deck we'll talk about is the green fixing play all your bombs deck. I've seen plenty of these. I think about 20% of the pools that you open are this. And this absolutely depends on Oasis Ritualist, Gifts of Paradise, to a lesser extent, Traveler's Amulet, Beneath the Sands, um and evolving wilds so look for those and it's almost like if you can play a base green deck if your green is just passable and you have some of those cards you can kind of play all of the good cards that you opened and then the god tier deck is the base is that one that i just described except you've got legitimate bombs like it's a whole different game when you have or your opponent has for example one of the gods 
the cards are just not fair. Like I've had opponents land nickel bolus. That's also not a fair card. And like games of sealed are going to go long enough that they're, you're able to resolve something like that. Sandworm convergence is still a legitimate bomb there. So like I always start by looking at my rares because why not? But I'd really encourage people in this set in particular, after you've looked at your rares, go look at green first. If you're looking at two Oasis ritualists and evolving wilds and a traveler's amulet, an entire world of possibilities is opened up to you and don't discount those decks. They're real. Like I'm one who's usually very reticent to splash. Like I'm not all about, you know, let's play five colors that that's not what I think of when I'm thinking about building sealed pools. But in this format, I'm actively looking to do it. So I what's just your mana to- base. You, yeah. Yeah. What's your mana base look like in a deck like that? Usually usually at least nine to 10 green sources because you've got to land the gifts of paradise and you've got to land the oasis ritualists. There is also usually a secondary color, one that has the most removal spells, for example. So like I'm usually playing green for a creature base and then some creatures of that secondary color and the the removal spells that it's offering me. And then I'll double splash. Like if I'm playing Mm -hmm. black green and I have a glory bringer and an angel, I'll, I'll put both of them in there if I have the Oasis which Ritualist to cast them. But th- that's what's really key to the deck is you can play those, you know, double-costed, you know, powerful cards. Vizier of Many Faces is another example. You can just throw that in a deck and have two Oasis Ritualists and a Gifts of Paradise be your only way to cast it, and you're fine. You can cast it. It's not a problem. So, like, that, it just enables such a, a strange strategy. Like, you don't even need basics for it. Uh, Manalith can also be a part of this too, as these decks often are going to cast expensive cards also. So you're getting the ramp and the fixing. Like if you've got hippos, you're going to play those. If you've got sandworms, you're going to play those too. And they, they slot right in there. The Manalith helps that and helps give you a little extra fixing. I've been playing um, painted bluffs in these decks, which is a card I I typically avoided in Amonkhet sealed by itself, but it actually works out kind of fine here. Mm Hmm. Interesting. And that's a common too. So you should easily be able to see one or two in a, in a good kind of in a good pool, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I would say again, it's around 20% of the the pools that I've opened have a greedy green deck in there because you kind of need to have good green cards and the fixing. And once those two things converge, go for it, just do it. But like, I've also seen pools that have the fixing, but nothing good in green. So like I can play green for this fixing and then splash black and red. It's like, well, you could also just play black and red because those are the good cards. Yeah. Uh, so, so don't go that deep down the rabbit hole. But if you've got an ambuscade, a colossipede, um, and a cartouche of strength, and then the fixing, by all means, do it. So are those uh, ritualists then now kind of on your top priority to kill with things like puncturing blow and and the like? Um, are they must kills or? Or what's your take on, on facing down this deck? Once I know that that's what I'm facing, yes. I want Ritualist dead as soon as possible. Um, you don't often see Gifts of Paradise anymore because, again, it's only one pack and it was a larger set. Uh, but I think Ritualists are probably something you want to kill as soon as you can. I'd, I'd also like to save more removal because eventually they're going to get to another one or just play enough lands that they can cast whatever it is they were trying to ramp to or fix to. But Oasis Ritualist is a scary card. I, I do not want to see my opponents play it because I know that generally it means they're going to slam something absurdly powerful. Like I can put together draws that have a, a five, six trample attacking on what. So I would start with Naga Bridalist on turn two. 
then I untap mm-hmm. and I've got four mana. I cast my ritualist ritualist and then I can untap and cast a greater sandworm if I want to. If yeah, I'm willing to two, exert three, four, five, six, seven. If you hit all your land drops, yeah, you can you have seven mana on turn four. Yeah. So, right? That's two, three, that's four, five, six, seven. Mana. It's a lot of mana. And and there's a lot of things at six and seven that just are unbeatable on turn four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. It also blocks really well, too. It that does. four toughness. I'm surprised it had four toughness. I think it's actually a really well-costed card um, because it does block well, but it's in a format where blocking isn't all that great. Like, mm-hmm. there's still aggressive decks, like I, I would imagine in draft. I haven't played a whole lot of draft, but... Like some of the times where I have, I've, I've built a deck very similar to this. And I, I think three colors are viable in draft as well, but I've really been focused on sealed for the, the PTQs and that sort of thing. Right. All right. I've, I've scribbled down my notes on that one. Uh, don't play sealed check mark. All right, done. Can I yell at some <laughs> clouds now? Yeah, let's, let's yell at some clouds. So I'm going to do my best to defend where I can defend. Some things may be indefensible, but, um, but you know me, I work in software development. So those that don't know my background, I am a software developer. Um, and we talk about, we're going to be talking about magic online and how sometimes things suck. And when, when it's coming from a software development perspective, I know the insider, I know kind of, I understand how shitty project manage, pardon my language. How, how crappy project management is, you know, how there's a million things to do and only 40 hours a week to do them per developer kind of thing. So, um, so I'll probably take that approach to it, but then I'll also take just kind of a, you know, well, let, let's be nice to everyone approach because we're nice guys on this podcast, except when I swear. Yeah. I can't believe right. you did that. I've never right, heard so of, I don't got, even know what that word is. No, you've never heard it. Never heard that before. Um, mm. I, I also want to come from a perspective of, I, I'm going to complain a little bit about magic online. I played this game for eight hours today. I'm going to play it for a little more than eight hours tomorrow. And then on Thursday and Friday, I'm going to do it again. And I'm hopeful that I'm in a PTQ on Sunday. I, this is coming back from a trip where we drove nine hours to go play magic. I'm pretty fond of this game. So I'm not complaining about it as in this, this sucks and I don't like it. I'm pointing out some things that I don't like with the hopes that they can be improved. Uh, because I, I I don't foresee stopping playing Magic Online in my near future or even distant future for that matter. Like the competitive scene is what drew me back to it. When I tried other games like Hearthstone and Eternal, it for all the things that I'm going to complain about, there are awesome things about Magic Online. A big one being the the PTQs are actually really well, well run now. It's easy to get up in load the program and then find in the menu a competitive event that you can play in. The leagues are very well done. So I've said many great things about magic online and overall I'm happy with the program, but there's a few things that really grind my gears. All right. Fair game. Our disclaimer has been set. Let's go. Okay. I'm going to start with a relatively minor one. I did two sealed leagues today. Actually I did three. The first one was a really cool blue black deck with Drake Haven. I actually had the cycling deck and I built that deck and I ran it through and it went four one and I was pretty happy. And then I opened my next pool and it was a not as good blue black deck, but that's fine. So I built it. We put it together. We played the first round. And then before I played the second round, I clicked edit deck and there was my first deck staring at me, not the second deck, the first one. It's like, huh, that's really weird. I guess let's test this bug and see if it'll let me play with it again. I clicked play and there I was playing the second deck. 
That ah. bug persisted after that round until I rebooted Magic Online. This is tiny, but it was there and it was a little frustrating. Like I said, we're going to start with just a, a low ball. I'd never seen that happen before. I usually do two sealed legs a day, if not more. And that's the first time I've bumped into it. So I think this might have come about recently and it was a little frustrating. Huh? I can't defend that one. That's not even a complaint. That's a bug. That's a valid complaint, sir. Yeah. You didn't give me anything to complain about. However, that probably takes us into our next complaint, doesn't it? Yeah. Bugs. So I, I don't know if you were watching on stream um, when this happened. But speaking of bugs, are you familiar with the Scarab God? I am. He's got lots of bugs. Yeah, that's a very powerful card. And it's also very difficult to deal with. If you kill it and it goes to the graveyard, it returns to your opponent's hand. I was playing standard against a blue-black zombies deck that was using that card. And I had to jump through a bunch of hoops to kill it. Throwing away a creature, a removal spell, and then using the Crook of Condemnation that I had brought in from my sideboard to exile it from their graveyard. And I was very surprised after the turn ended to see it move from the exile zone back to their hand. So Crook of Condemnation is a very narrow sideboard card that I brought in just for this and for Game Against the God Pharaoh's Gift stack. And it just it didn't do what it's supposed to do. I was quite surprised after that to go look and see if anyone else had bumped into this. And it's on a list of known bugs. So Watsi's aware of it. There's this powerful card from their most recent set with a very narrow sideboard card that you can bring in to beat it. And Crook of Condemnation doesn't do anything else. Let's understand this is kind of what it's for. And the interaction just doesn't work. Now, I lost that game anyway. My opponent never replayed the Scarab God but I did see it move from the exile zone back into their hand it disappeared from the exile zone, which I had popped open and the card count in their hand went up by one when the ability was triggered. And again, it is noted in the bug blog. Like I, this just blows my mind that a bug like this can get through. I, I, I don't understand. Uh, the only thing that I can defend it with is that there are, probably a thousand bugs that they're dealing with and they probably triage them in a, in a specific order and either this one is slated for a future build and has already been done um so i'm going to try to explain this from a from a software branching perspective so sometimes in 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 my job i'll have bugs that are fixed in versions of development that are two or three weeks down the road and they've already been done but the reason is is because current versions have already been locked down and we cannot fit it in, in, in sticking with our kind of soft, like our, our deployment workflows. Um, that being said, you know, a bug like this should never pass, get past QA basically. Um, you know, that is a very common interaction. How do we deal with gods? We exile them from the graveyard. So, um, I would hope that this one will be fixed with the next update because it does seem something that that's quite seem like something that's quite critical. Um, but I mean, I, that's my only defense of it is that I'm sure that it's the changes in the queue. And it, it probably just missed the last release because they only do weekly or bi-weekly releases now anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So but that's I, not something they can hot fix. It sucks. That's I, I but that that's all that I got for you on that one. How long do you think now Dave and I on occasion will play Heroes of the Storm? Mm -hmm. It's it's a fun game. I'm not particularly good at it and I'm not playing it competitively. I've even streamed it a couple times. How long do you think it would take Blizzard to shut down the servers if Stitch's hook went all the way across the map? Um, yeah, it would be, if it was discovered immediately after release and it was 
infinitely reproducible, they probably do it immediately after release. Yeah. Like they probably do it the same time. That, that's However, I'm going to counter that with Nazebo for those that play is the witch doctor has had a bug that was reported months ago in which uh, earning, I forget what the vile blood or whatever it is. He, whenever he kills a minion with his poison on it, it was miscounting that for months, months. They just fixed it the other day. Okay. Okay. So, so sometimes it can so take a while to get things fixed. There, there are like critical game breaking. It breaks the game every single time. Like for example, all of a sudden you draw eight cards instead of seven in your hand at the start of every match game breaking. You can't play. Watsi would bring down the servers for that. And they have done that right where yeah. events are broken. Trades are broken. They bring it down. They bring it back up. Right. Hot fixes. This well, it, I would argue that it's not necessarily fringe, but it's certainly in the level of severity on probably the lower end of the spe- the spectrum of se- like severe bugs. It yes, it breaks the game, but it probably breaks a very small percentage of the games because okay. there aren't a lot of exiling effects from the graveyard, um, and only the gods have this interaction, right? So the number of cards and the number of games that this interacts with, well, it might be large in number in actual number percentage wise is probably very small. So when, when we look at these bugs, we look at like, okay, is it affecting everybody or is it affecting a small number of people or somewhere in between? And then you kind of prioritize it from there, but I wouldn't be surprised if it gets fixed. Like it'll probably get fixed with the next update. If I, if I put money on it, I would bet even money that it would get fixed in the next update because it does impact their key cards from the set. And it probably will impact standard at some point if the gods ever find a home um and then obviously limited is very popular so you know if it's on their known issues list and it's of a recent set it will probably get fixed i think it's very rare that issues from the current sets last for for longer than a month and you're not wrong it just sucks when it happens to you because i didn't have that perspective when it happened um, yes. But now that I'm thinking about it, I can I can stop yelling at that cloud while we're no. talking about downtime and hot fixes, though. Um, I think before your premier tournament where there are teams testing together. So there's Channel Fireball and they've got two teams and they're testing together and they're having meetings and they're doing drafts together. And then there's also some people like our our friend, David Murphy, who's going to his first pro tour and he brings his laptop and he's like, you know what? I'm going to test on Magic Online. I think um, two days before that event is a great time to shut down the entirety of your program, not tell us when it's coming back up, then tell us it's coming back up, but it's not, it's broken. Then tell us again, it's coming back up, but it's not up, it's broken. That That seems good to me, right? Yeah, I can tell you that I've been in that spot. Um, and Tell me it what it's like from good. that perspective so I it, can stop being mad. It sucks. Like there's nobody that feels worse. So you, let's say you, you're, you're going to your first pro tier, you're, you're Dave Murphy and all you want to do is test and you can't test for eight hours in prime time in Japan. It, it sucks for you and you feel bad. It, it sucks even more for the person that's got to sit there and like answer to his boss. Like, why is this not online? Like we're losing money because players aren't playing. Like there's a real cost to that. And, and it, it sucks. If you care anything about your job as a developer, it sucks. In fact, every bug that's released, if it's like a critical bug or even a major or or severe bug, you, I lose sleep over it. It sucks. So I guarantee you that the people who, who were at fault for just it not coming back online fast enough, they felt it. Now the people that planned it, 
they probably just didn't have the foresight to think like, hey, there's a pro tour. Maybe we should skip it. Um, if it was a weekly thing like it used to be, then I, I wouldn't really think about it because it's just like it's just weekly. We're just we just do it every week. Everybody knows it. But the fact that they switched to biweekly and it doesn't need to be weekly anymore. And in fact, they do bounce it around the schedule that that kind of irked me a little bit. So I'm on I'm on your side on that one. But I would also suggest that the the people that that caused that outage that were responsible for that, you know, they're, they're people too. They felt it, but yeah. it sucks. And it I, sucks. Like if I was Dave Murphy, I'd, I'd, I'd be angry. I'd yeah. be upset. I, I, and I can cut a little slack too, because it hasn't been that long that you were able to test on magic online. So like, if we knock this back to a year ago, the sets weren't released in time. You couldn't test on magic online. So the, the counter argument is, yeah, they probably shouldn't have done maintenance that Wednesday, do it the following Wednesday. However, again, if we flash back two years, I, if I'm in that situation, I've had no time to test with these decks. I've only had what I could do in paper. So I, I, again, I can cut them some slack, but I'm hoping that they'll learn from that and say, you know, the week before the pro tour, let's not do any downtime or maintenance. Let's just make sure all our stuff works. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case next time. Yeah. Cause they've heard it, right? I'm sure they saw all the tweets. I'm sure they heard all the feedback from all the pros. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that they'll do something with it. And then I, I've got at least one more cloud. I need to shake my fist at, um, while we were recording the pregame show, I finally got the email from wizards about resetting the password for the secondary account I had to set up so that I can file for compensation in the game where my crook of condemnation didn't exile their bug. And that happened on Thursday. I also have a pad here where I've written down the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine digit match that I was in and the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine digit game that I was playing where that happened, which they need. Um, a lot of the games that I play that aren't magic online have a button that you click when you find a bug and the onus is not on the player who probably paid for the game, but not, I don't know, $14, $12, $10, 50 cents. It doesn't matter what the amount is to play in this specific instance, which bugged out. Um, it's a pain in the butt to file for comp. It should be way easier. I, I, to be fair, this is like the second time I've ever done it, which says something about the stability of the platform. However, when it happens, it's remarkably frustrating to lose a game that you were going to win due to a bug. And like, there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing your opponent can do about it. So if you can't knock out all the bugs at once, and I understand that you can't make it easier to, to make it a feel good for me and also make it a little clearer what happens when you file for compensation because I read through the rules and I, I kind of didn't understand if it was even to my benefit to file because as it happened, I four one, I no, I think I three two that league. So it's like, and the compensation were like the, the, the rules said something like we can invalidate the match. And I'm like, I don't really want to invalidate the match because I actually won the match. If they invalidate the match, I would lose the play points that I got from it. So I, I didn't really quite understand whether it was to my benefit to report it or not. I still want to do it because I encountered a bug and I want to make sure they know about it, even though they've posted that they do. I want to let them know that it's still ongoing. Uh, but that, that that's kind of my final cloud to shake a fist at. It's just make, make it easier when the program screws up to, to kind of take some of that burden off of me 
and and say you're sorry, man. That's kind of all I want is, hey, I'm I'm sorry it didn't work. Here's some cookies. Go be happy. Yeah, the I I understand why it's not part of Magic Online. The report a bug feature or like the file for compensation is not there. And the reason is, is just that it's just not there. They probably repurposed another system that they could use for it. Um, so there was like a, I think they just use like the basic wizards communication tool that you can just send and send a message to them. Right. Mm-hmm. It sucks. I, I cannot defend that. The, their, their file for compensation system sucks. Um, however, they have gotten a lot better recently in actually reimbursing. It used to be that it was very difficult to get reimbursement and now it's actually easy. It's probably too easy now. I hear a lot of stories of people that are in chat that are like, yeah, you know, I get like, you know, I file for reimbursement five times a month. And it's like, like, really, like you're running into these things you're five times a month, these things five times a month. Again, this is the second time it's happened to me in yeah. three years of streaming. Like <laughs> it's not that often. It's either you're you're seeking them out or maybe you're playing. Maybe you're just playing standard where these things might be more frequent. But they, they seem to be a lot a lot easier when paying out these types of things these days. But you're right. It's very confusing. Like I couldn't tell you what their policy was, except that it's more likely now that I will get a payout. And it's if, if, if I run into a bug in a game that I lose, you know, filing for comp makes sense a hundred percent of the time. I just don't know if it makes sense a hundred percent of the time when you win. Yeah. As it was explained to me through chat, it still does. If you win the prizes, like at least let them know about it. Sometimes they'll comp you. Sometimes they won't. And I would not encourage I've had, I've seen in chat before when there's a card that is known to be bugged and limited for people, like I'll have people in my chat say, just take it. You can file for comp because you had this in your pool. And I'm like, that's not what I'm looking to do. I'm not looking to abuse the system. I don't want free tickets for everybody. I just want it easy when I encounter a bug that has a cost for me. I don't want to have to do homework to figure out how to get that back. And Mm -hmm. I, I would again mention here, like your best friends are the ones that tell you things like, Dave, your beard looks really rough. You should shave, right? Like your Mm -hmm. best friend can tell you that Mm -hmm. somebody who's not your friend would not point out that you've got a booger on your mustache. You just checked. Yeah, totally do. Right. Like your real friend is somebody who's going to point out those little things and, and work with you and try to make you your best because they care about you. And I care about magic online. So I'm not just shaking my fist at, at clouds in pure anger and I'm going to quit and go stream hello kitty Island adventure every day. Now it's because I really love this game and I I can see the potential here. They're doing something great. And I, I played in the beta of this game. I don't mean the beta for V4. I mean the beta for magic online. I've been playing this game for as long as it's been around. Um, I remember the little tables people used to sit out to draft digitally where you'd have your little avatar walk up and sit down. You remember the tables, don't you, Dave? Again, I played the, the demo of that. I yeah. played the outside of beta. I remember very vividly yeah, so the that, welcome decks that you got to play with. So that that's what I'm saying is I just want magic online to trim their beard, wipe off the boogers and let's have a really good program that we can play and enjoy together. So I've shaken my fist. I've gotten it off my chest and uh, we'll, the next time I come back, it will be full of positivity. <laughs> you know what? It, it, it's okay to complain about these things and come up with solutions or even approach it from a positive perspective. You're just looking to make a better magic online experience and you're not complaining for the sake of complaining. And more importantly, you're not taking advantage of the system. Yeah. Right. 
you're just you're just looking to have a good magic online experience so um now that being said i know this is not something that interests you because you play a ton of magic online anyway um but i wanted to mention that uh you can sign up for the magic online um uh qa team so what they do is every Ever, not not necessarily set release, but every major release of the client. So when they updated for leagues, as well as all of the sets and things like that, um, you can actually apply to be part of their their kind of external QA team, uh, and you get early access to um, certain formats of cards in which they do mass testing of all sorts of cards for magic online as well as testing other features um and then once in a while you get rewarded with um with a draft or two where they host um you know like 300 person drafts and things like that um so if you're interested in testing maybe you want to work in qa and in software or things like that or you just want to play more magic online and you don't mind playing janky formats and helping uh wizards test you can actually sign up for that and um, and play. You know, you need it's it's a separate installation. It's a separate download. It's kind of a pain in the butt to set up if you don't have a second computer. But if you have a laptop or something like that, it actually works out really well. And that's something that I was doing for a while um, when I didn't have a, a ton of tickets on Magic Online and I wasn't interested in putting any more money in. Um, I was playing kind of these these janky formats on the on the beta client, and it was it was fun. But uh, for somebody that takes it seriously, it might not be. Uh, might not be your cup of tea, but it is magic. Magic is magic, and uh, and if Magic's you're interested fun. in helping, if you're interested in helping them make it better, um, you know you might be able to throw a few hours at this and, and give them valuable feedback. I know for sure I reported you know ten or fifteen bugs a few set. I think it was the Shadows of Reinistrad set. Um, I caught ten or fifteen bugs myself. Some of them had already been reported, but it was very interesting to see how far they had come just in the few weeks of testing that we were able to do. So. Yeah, let's uh, give me a link to that so I can put it in the show notes when we publish this. Because like if if you're going to shake your fist at a cloud, be willing to also have a conversation with the cloud about how it cannot make you angry in the future. Old man speaks nicely to cloud and offers suggestions so that it doesn't rain. There you go. Outstanding. All right. A bit of a short one this week, but uh, I think we'll come back next week with uh, a lot more gameplay related content uh i'll have more reps under my belt now that i'm back from vacation you of course will be jamming sealed for the next couple of weeks and so we can uh we can maybe talk about a little bit more about hour of devastation and let's come up with a level up topic or something next week let's uh if, if any of our listeners out there have any recommendations give us something to talk about and uh and we'll see if we can incorporate it in the next few weeks sounds good to me all right Thanks again for listening. And uh, once again, thanks to our sponsors, Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. We we were your men from Moto. We continue to be as well. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Adios.